Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Don Mazzella, and I am your host for a program devoted to identifying strategies and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our guests are other entrepreneurs and experts offering their solutions to the problems and opportunities facing small business leaders. Our aim in each program is to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas or suggestions. So follow us on Twitter at hashtag 2SBDigest or at our website at www.smallbusinessdigest.net. You know, you know it, it, it's, it's the, the uh, end, end of, of November. November. We're, We're all into the the December end of the year, and every one of us is uh, wondering how can we make that last great sale. Well, um, we were fortunate enough to get tonight to get Mikel Koopman to come and join us. And he's going to tell us a little bit of some of the, of the ideas he has how to do, to do that. But first, as we always ask with the, our guests, we, we ask Mikel, and welcome to the program, to tell, tell us a little bit about himself personally. Mr. how are you? I'm doing great, Don. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here, part of Small Business Digest Radio. I really appreciate you having me. Thank you. Well, we're glad. But, Mikhail, you've got an interesting background, so I guess I'm going to uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, because I, I know I was impressed by it. Oh, thank you so much, Don. I appreciate it. Um I have a, a bit, quite a diverse background, I guess. Um, I, I, I grew up in Holland, uh, the Netherlands, and um, you know I, I come from a entrepreneurial family, import-export type family. And uh, around my late teenage years, um, I had the opportunity to move to the United States for college. So I, I did that by myself, um, and. Um, you know, one thing led to another, and I, I got stuck here um, with, uh, you know, a business degree and uh, had an opportunity to work for a variety of different companies, generally large companies, actually, from 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 uh, companies like Grant Metz and uh, Morgan Stanley, uh, software companies like Citrix and, and Bond and so forth. But it wasn't until about um, five years ago or so that... Um, I wanted to go back to my uh, more family entrepreneurial roots and uh, ended up uh, having this wonderful opportunity to help grow uh, this company called Get Abstract that I'm now part of. And that's been a really wonderful journey. I'm sure we'll talk about that more. Personally, um, I have two wonderful children, a wonderful wife, and I live currently in uh, the Miami Beach area. Wow. Okay. Now let's um, get to the topic at hand. 
uh, you know, it's uh, the end of November, the beginning of December, and everybody I know is, is um, thinking about how do we improve sales? How do we close that guy that's been hanging for for three or four um, uh, months uh, or even a couple of years? I just, uh, what really prompted this was I heard, uh, I guess it was a week ago, a friend of mine called and said, you know, I've finally got, uh, I have this guy on the hook for two years, and he finally closed uh, this week. He said, I don't know how I did it, but uh, but it happened. But now you're here to tell us how we can do it. <laughs> Well, I wish that I had a silver, you know, silver bullet. Certainly, um, I, I'd like to think that I've been in sales for uh, over 15 years and, and been quite successful in it, and partially because I've made lots of mistakes and, and now know what the pitfalls are. So uh, I'd love to have the opportunity to share some of those, some of those uh, examples. And, and, and the friend that you're referring to, I guess the first best practice is never give up never surrender um, and so that's the first thing I would tell you Don is something that is critically important I can tell you relating to the audience that in our current business at get abstract um, our enterprise business we both have solutions we sell to large companies and to individuals and small business owners our enterprise business it's scary to, to, to recognize that 60% of our business is in November and December so um, I'm looking at, what, about 15 days left in the end of the year and needing to close well over, having our sales team close well over 100 uh, contracts. So, so that stress is mounting. And, and going through, uh, you know, that pipeline, there are certainly several best practices that uh, I'd, I'd like, to, like to look at. The floor is yours. Just keep going. Keep going. Okay. Well, you know, there is, um, the, the, I generally think there, there's two sides to the story. There's individual sales, and then there's, of course, a sales manager's job. Uh, here, here's a couple things that I would look at at a high level, and then, and it stopped me, uh, Don, if you'd like to talk about anyone in particular. The first thing well, well, that I Go ahead, Don. I have found that if, uh, you, you, you could, our guest is smarter than me, so I just let them talk. makes life yeah. easy. Sounds great. Um, I'm not sure if I'm smarter than you, but appreciate the compliment. Uh, first, um, is there is actually, if you ask someone, is sales an art or a sign? I, I believe that it's both. Uh, the great sales men and women out there, they gently tend to gravitate towards this notion that you're born a salesman. And there's certainly um, EQ, emotional intelligence skills that you need to have. But there is, a, there is also a science to it, and there is a sales cycle process that has to be agreed upon with the cycle. There, is best there are best practices to every set of the sales cycle. And if you skip one, you will end up proposing a solution that may not end up happening. So let's talk about some of those things, right? Um, there is the sales cycle process as a beginning, a middle, and an end, and the beginning starts with, Am I calling on the right person? You know, have I made the right solution proposition? Have I confirmed that value proposition? Have I made a um, proposal aligned to the needs of the client 
um, have I earned the right to send a contract and post? In that process, one of the things that I always look at, and your your gentleman your gentleman friend probably stumbled across this, is there a compelling event? What about this two-year sales cycle that this professional um, experience changed? Well, it's very likely that there is a compelling event. So if you are at the end of the year and you're having a challenge with one of your clients, one of the things that you could figure out is, is there a need to buy my solution right now? For us, as we have a learning solution for clients, um, is there a particular human resources challenge that you, Mr. Prospect, might experience right now? Is there an initiative that you're running right now that I can make better with our solution? So a compelling event is very important to look at. Second thing is we often end up calling on the people that return our phone call and would like to engage with us. Now, if you're lucky, that same person happens to also be the decision maker. That's not always the case. We often mistake a sponsor, someone who is willing to promote your solution, your product internally, with the power broker or the decision maker. Being aware of that is critically important. Sometimes elevating your dialogue with the ultimate decision maker is a necessity, but at the very least, it is important for you to recognize it so you can help the sponsors sell on your behalf to the people that sign on the dotted line. Second, and I'm sorry, saying, I mean, the next thing that is very important to look at is we, we often listen for the answers to the questions we were meaning to ask. We're leading the buyer, right? And that is a, that's, that's a dangerous thing because sometimes we feel that they have said yes to our proposal when we've kind of let, let them, but we haven't listened enough. So really make sure that you have true proposal acceptance because only if you've done that, you have tweaked the proposal to be in line with their actual needs and they will be inclined to sign the contract. Um, peeling back the onion in your discovery early on and throughout the process whereby you earn the right to give a proposal and then ultimately a contract, if there's a contract involved with the purchase, requires you back to peel back the onion to understand what their business priorities are. Uh, let me try and give an example. <clears throat> a customer might be struggling with uh, needing to teach their employees the art of negotiation. So you immediately think what they need is negotiation skills. But if you peel back the onion and realize that this particular bank, for example, is struggling to increase their margins and negotiation skills will help the ultimate salesmen and women negotiate better rates with the end user customers, then you realize negotiation skills are linked to a strategic business imperative of increasing margins for the bank. Understanding those business priorities allows you to have a higher level discussion, which also helps you with the ultimate sign up with the ultimate decision maker. So understanding the business priorities is incredibly, incredibly important. Next. You're doing a great some, job. Just keep on going. Keep, keep on going, Dan? Okay. Well, some, some solutions are more complex than others, right? 
and, mm-hmm. and recognizing that the customer doesn't only think about the point of sale, but they also think that what happens after sale is important as well. Some solutions require maintenance, some require implementation, some require integration, some requires other ancillary insurance requirements that they might have. I don't know what it is that our listeners here today are, are selling, but understanding the worries that the end user customer might have post-sale is important up front to identify them and, and, and put their minds at ease that you're there to help them with that. And most often, as a customer, as, as, as a vendor selling something, you've already thought about that, but articulating every time before you send them the contract that you will be there to make it easy for them is important. Oh, I wish that were the case, but I, most of the salesmen I work with, I have worked with in the past, all they want is to sell. They don't care. After, the, after that, they don't care. Uh, maybe that's changing in, in recent years, but, but in my experience, and I've run a, a few sales groups, uh, all the salesman wants is the, is the sale and the money. The rest of it is up to somebody else. How do you overcome that? Well, it, it, it's a really great observation. I, I would agree with that mm-hmm. statement, Don, that very often um, I would say less successful salesmen and women are there to sell a product and move on. The better um, salesmen and women are trying to sell themselves and the great ones sell long-term partnership and relationship and earn the right to be trusted advisors because you keep coming back. And in the world where the consumerism is so strong and our loyalty to brands keeps going down, the loyalty to people is where the opportunity lies. So, so that's one way to overcome it, is, is to build long-term relationships where you become trusted advisors to your customers, where you are challenging them and they are challenging you to bring forth solutions. But more tactically, um, at Get Abstract, we have tremendous renewal rates with individuals as well as with clients. And part of the reason is that we, we engage them throughout the life of that, 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 that contract. You know, we continue to deliver value to them and ask feedback along the way so that we can tweak and continue to be relevant to them, which, which leads me kind of to also the sales process. If you have a long sales cycle, like that gentleman that had a two-year sales cycle, which is not uncommon, Don, at Get Abstract, our business sales, sales cycles are between three to nine months. When you start the sales cycle, the business priorities are the way that you align your messaging. might be different six months down the line. Recalibrating that and making sure you're still important and still relevant is critically important, whether that's pre-sales or post-sales. You know, um, uh, it's very interesting you put it, uh, what you're saying because, for instance, I have a tremendous relationship with uh, my rep for GoDaddy. Um, you know, you, uh, you know, they make their money on the renewals and keeping you happy and upselling products. Uh, yet, uh, as you were talking, I was reviewing. I have very few relationships like that anymore. It seems to me that we, the internet, has put a lot, uh, uh, a lot of distance between us and and uh, our customers. What do you think about that? I, well, I think it's a tremendous 
point you're making is this notion of, uh, you know, we live in this world of information overload. We can find the information we need. It's at our fingertips. This is one of the areas that get abstracts. Why I get abstracts is, is, is important to our clients as well. The, the information overload allows consumers to find any information, any product, compare us, et cetera. So the salesman or woman's job is not as much anymore to bring in the product knowledge. It's about selling the relationship and the long-term partnership. That's a profound thought that I haven't thought about. Um, that's a profound thought. Well, well I, I think that I think it's it's logical that the more you democratize information, the harder it becomes to have access to the right knowledge. This is kind of the business we're in. But um, I, I, I think it's something that great salesmen and women recognize. And, and let me tell you something else. Talking about email and, and you know and, 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 and tweeting and Facebook, et cetera, People like to, when you're selling people, they like to be contacted in different ways. Sometimes, some people are auditory, others are visual, others are kinesthetic. So you have to have that mini campaign with them. But in the end, Don, I see a tremendous correlation between the reps that actually pick up the phone or show up at an office versus relying on all the technology today. People still like to buy from people they like. I, I hope you're true on the, uh, you, you're right on that because to to me there's so many barriers um, for for us uh, for instance in the advertising radio television etc it's all done um, if you, if you don't have a precise uh, demographic for them they won't talk to you um, right uh, I've been I've been in the in the business a long time. And I've seen a profound change in that. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. No, and, and if you, if uh, and looking at the time here, Donna, if I can leave you um, maybe with one more tip for the end of the year, and I would, I would challenge all sales professionals on the phone here today who are running a small business that every obstacle you face in the end of the sales cycle is an opportunity. Um, sales. People generally, when they get a no or an obstacle, they say, okay, maybe not now, next time. When someone tells you, sorry, I don't have budget for this, all they're saying is, I don't have budget for you, okay? That's what they're saying because most people have budget. They just prioritize. And if there's 10 things they can afford and there's 20 things on the list and you're number 11, you're out of luck. So try and find out. When someone tells you, I don't have the time, I don't have the resources, I don't have the budget, what do you have time for? What do you have resources for? What do you have budget for? Try to peel back that onion, find out what's important to them, and then often you find a way to become a trusted advisor or find the right time and place to to be able to close that sale. Don, I hope that's helpful. Oh, that is, uh, uh, please, uh, we don't have a time limit. The nice, nice thing about this program is you know we're flexible, and I'd like you to stay if you have time to stay a few more minutes and talk some more. Sure, I can I can extend it, Don. Let me know what you would like uh, like to talk about. Well, well, you know, uh, someone told me many years ago. I'm sure you were, uh, the sale begins when the customer says no. <laughs> uh, 
I mean, that's a summation of what you say. Um, how do you encourage your people to, to go that extra mile, to peel back that onion, to do the, the things that you're saying? Well, there's a couple things, and these might be more, um, you know, mushy-feeling type statements, but, but they really do work. I believe that the extra mile, the discretionary effort, is unlocked by a couple things. First, I think it's about purpose. There's this wonderful author called Lisa McLeod, and she wrote a book called Selling with Noble Purpose. And it's about understanding why you're doing the things you're doing. Now, I'll, I, if you allow me, I'll, I'll give you the example of Kidastra. I can tell you I sell summarized business books and online reports and videos, but that's not why we do it. Why we do it is to help people become smarter and better professionals, ultimately helping economies thrive. And reminding your sales reps you're there to help companies, individuals be better, to drive economic prosperity, that purpose unlocks a certain passion. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, and this is very difficult to teach, but you can demonstrate it, and, it's, and it go, coincides with the first thing, is this natural curiosity. If I hire salespeople, I generally look for this natural curiosity. Do you have it? Right? And, and that comes down from asking open-ended questions about why, what is important, why you're doing it that way, Mr. Customer. What does success look like for you in the future? How can I help you get there? Those types of natural curiosity, that type of natural curiosity is really, really critical in my opinion. Last but not least, in my world, and I, and I haven't really found a world where this isn't the case, maybe if you're highly focused on just selling consumer products at a retail area, it might not be as, as relevant to you, but I find business acumen critically important. And it doesn't mean you need to know business in general, but if you're selling to doctor's offices, understand the world that the doctor lives in. If you're selling to a Fortune 100 company, understand what their CEO wrote in their, in their annual report as their key imperatives, their aspirational goals. That kind of business acumen allows you to see the world through the eyes of the prospect. So you, you combine those things, purpose, natural curiosity, and being able to see the world through their eyes and having that business acumen, I think those are really important attributes. Um, if people want to talk to, um, talk to you and learn a little bit about your business, where do they go? Oh, there's a couple of places, ways to get in touch with me. Um, first of all, go to our website, www dot get abstract dot com g e t a b s t r a c t dot com. Um, you can email me at my first name dot last name at getabstract dot com, which is uh, Michelle dot Koopman m i c h e l dot k o o p m a n at getabstract dot com, or you can tweet with me at m Koopy. That's my handle m k o o p i. Um, that's probably the best way to get in touch with me. I'd be happy to speak to any of your listeners about some of the um, ideas I have and possibly, you know, help them and learn from them as well. Well, Michael, 
hold on one second. We have another guest. I want to bring him in. And just... you're, you're now live. Hi, how you doing today? Good. Who, who's on the line? Good. My name is John Ross. Okay. I'm calling. John? I'm calling. I'm calling from Soleil Bicycles. Uh, Michelle, happy I got you. I'm, I'm a uh, avid reader of Get Abstract, and so is my company. Um, I do have one question for you before some of you're signing off. I have some employees that are, even though this holiday season seems like, even though they haven't crushed all their numbers yet. I really, really want to motivate them and keep them focused, even though the holiday season is, is fast approaching. Do you have one piece of advice to really focus my employees? Well, I mean, there's many things, John. Thanks for calling, by the way, and for the question that you can, can talk about. One of the very powerful things um, that I believe is important to motivate your sales team is to paint a picture of what success looks like. Understand what they are personally motivated by. I once had a sales rep who wanted to very much have a Mustang. So success for that person meant a Mustang. For other people, it means putting your kids through college and so forth. And there's a really wonderful book about relating to the heart of the salespeople, and it's called actually Heart Goals. It's a summary that if you're a client of ours, you can, you can download Heart Goals which is ironically the opposite of the smart goals, which we've all heard about. So, John, I would say uh, check that out and see if uh, if that's of help for you. Got it. Thank you so much. I'll make sure to check well, that out on the show. John, before you get off, um, t- tell us a little bit about your business and uh, what's happening uh, right now at the end of the year. Well, we're a small business a manufacturing company. We, uh, we manufacture our own line of bicycles, and uh, we sell to a, a number of stores, small mom-and-pop bike shops, and uh, a couple larger larger accounts. So, um, you know, we, we've been around about four, almost five years now. We've got a young and, a, a young and hungry sales team. Uh, they're definitely a team of really smart, entrepreneurial hustlers. Um, so sometimes, you know, it's, it is a young team, so it's just hard to, to get everybody focused, but... Um, you know, we, we got get abstract for our team, and, uh, you know, we, we keep making good products, and we, we try and stay knowledgeable about the market, and we do all the things right. So just as, you know, this this time is important for us. Well, Michelle, can I ask a question? Um, uh, right now, it's the end of the year. It's the most important time. What do you think about uh, piling on financial incentives at the end of the year? Well, I, I think it I think it makes a difference, but but I I believe that if someone wants your product, they're going to want your product. They don't. Any price is too expensive. But there are people or companies who want to buy your solution that they might have done in January, February, March, but they are more enticed to act earlier if the price is better now as in the future. Because people fear by not acting that they they take they, they lose the opportunity to take advantage of that benefit. So, so I think it makes sense as long as you don't devalue your product by doing so. Um, also, a financial incentive can be a discount. It could also be, you don't always have to discount. You can add services or add-ons as specials. You can also change the payment requirements so that business owners 
who are on an annual year, they can still count the revenue, but the payment is later because cash accounting uh, is different than recognizing revenue, for example. So, so great question, and, and certainly we do that as well. We're running a special, for example, right now where um, if you were to act now to you know, buy the Get Abstract Summarized Book Library, you get a special deal discount to add to economic reports. So, so we practice that ourselves, Don, and, and, it, and it works. Well, that's, there's another approach for you. Have you thought about that? No, I haven't. It's actually a, a pretty great idea. You know, we've, we've thought through some, some visions together, but we actually haven't ever set up a financial bonus incentive program for the company. That's a great idea, Michelle and Don. Thank you. Well, thank you for uh, uh, calling in. Uh, Guys, thank you so much. Thank, thank, thank you, Michelle. Anytime. Thank you for calling. Bye bye. Well, I wish we had more callers like like him. If anybody else has a question, uh, the the number is six four six nine two nine two three three seven. Michelle didn't know he was going to get into something like this. But it's also a good way for learning, don't you think, Michelle? I'm I'm sorry, Don. I had a little acoustic challenge here. Could you repeat the question? No, I was just giving you. I I just said uh, uh, I thought that was a good exchange, and I wish we had a couple more because you seem to have a wealth of information at a at a critical time. We, we yeah, just, no, I right. No, you first. Yeah, I said I think that's great. I enjoy I enjoy it to uh, to interact with the the guys who are actually doing it, right? And are struggling with it. But Don, again, if if I could be of service to you uh, on the show in the future or um, unilaterally with some of your listeners, I would be uh, very happy to do so now or in the future. Uh, thanks well, for having. Appreciate wait, it. wait before you go. Tell us again how we can uh, reach you. Um, you know, you can uh, you, you can you can call you, you can email me at my email um, michelle.koopman, m i c h e l dot k o o p m a n at getabstract.com, which is g e t a t r s a c t, and um, you can also dial me directly if you like. Um, you know, my phone number is three zero five. Nine three six two six four five. That's my direct line. And again, it was a real pleasure to be on the show, and uh, I look forward to uh, hopefully being on it again in the future, Don. Oh, absolutely! In the new year, have a nice Thanksgiving, and uh, a happy and prosperous holiday and new year. But we'll definitely have you back next year. Thank you. I look forward to it very much. Happy Thanksgiving to you and to all your listeners. Thanks again for the opportunity. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Our next guest brings an, uh, an interesting perspective to what is the, one of the major uh, problems facing small business, how to get the most bucks out of the, their promotional budget. I just saw a study come across my desk the other day that uh, indicates uh, while um, trade shows are uh, the number one lead generator, print products and print promotion items uh, rank just behind that in terms of generating leads. But as we all know, 
it's very difficult to really come up with a uh, an economical way of promoting. Well, the people over at HP uh, contacted me, and they uh, said they had somebody who could really help uh, small businesses uh, utilize the, their printing and other uh, in-house products. So we have with us today Mark Keyrose. He's Vice President of Marketing, and he has some pretty interesting ideas. Mark, welcome to the program. Uh, thanks for having me, Don. Well, we like we do with all our guests, we first ask them a little bit about themselves personally before we get into the topic. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So as you introed, I'm the Vice President. I've been with HP now going on 17 years across the various different businesses that we have, um, both on the enterprise side of, of the, uh, from a customer standpoint, as well as uh, small, medium business and even consumer. Um, and most recently, uh, I'm working in the our ink printing solutions uh, business, right? So, again, um, you know, happy to be here and, and happy to share some insights that we've had uh, as it relates to uh, how SMBs can save some money and uh, be more impactful around their print usage. Well, we want to really hear that, but we want to know a little bit about you. Uh, oh, what personally, you do. huh? Personally, oh, yeah. We, uh, okay. Well, I've been in San Diego. Real... I'm a San Diego native. I, I grew up in San Diego, um, moved away for a little while, and then moved back back in uh, 2001. Uh, so I love, I love the area. I... Um, I have a family of uh, three children, um, a daughter, two daughters actually, uh, 10 and 14, and then a son who's 18, and my wife of now going on 20 years, right? So uh, really happy uh, family situation there. So, And a uh, very competitive guy. I've always uh, loved sports and uh, I do a little bit of uh, running in my spare time. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of perspective. Well, it's always good to know a little bit about uh, people. Uh, now, Mark, you, you're coming here today because you have some pretty good ideas. So I'm just going to say lay them out to us, and uh, as I usually say, the platform is yours. All right, thanks. Well, I think, you know, small-medium businesses, right, I mean, the, the challenge that you're facing uh, in a small-medium business is around, as I said before, being able to um, make an impact with customers as you're trying to grow and uh, and develop a, a customer base and do so as economically and as efficiently as possible, right? So I think um, th that's really the, the focus. And, and, and print, as, as you aptly uh, described earlier, and, and kind of hard copy promotion is a, is a very critical part of the marketing mix, right, as you're thinking about you know, uh, informing customers around your offerings and uh, and your services. So with that in mind, I think it's uh, critical important to have a plan, right? I think uh, as any business, right, having a plan of action as it relates to how you're going to go about um, acquiring customers, uh, informing customers, it's essential that that plan consists of, you know, a very strong focus on, you know, what, what you're trying to get out of, of uh, the, the activity. And so 
Knowing your design path is really important. Um, knowing exactly what you're trying to convey as far as the message and the content that are included in how you're trying to communicate with customers is important, but, but even before that, understanding kind of how, how are you going to grab the attention of a customer um, is critically important, right? And that, that comes down to the mediums that you choose in which to communicate with your customers, uh, as well as the way in which you position you know, yourself within those mediums. And so specifically talking within in the uh, kind of print space, knowing uh, kind of what design you're looking for, right? What's, what's catchy? What's going to get uh, the attention of customers, right? Because that, while, while the message that you have and the content that you're trying to um, deliver to customers is incredibly important, uh, catching their attention uh, is, is probably the, the first and, and, and most difficult step, right? Because uh, customers are bombarded by many different uh, sets of information, right, uh, from different businesses and, and different um, organizations. So trying to stand out uh, is very critical. Uh, it, it's really job one. And so understanding the use of color, understanding the use of uh, imagery and iconography and, and the like is very important. So I think uh, that's one thing that I would, would start out with is, is really understanding your des design path and how you're going to differentiate yourself, right, as it really important. I, I know from, a, uh, from an HP perspective, we spend a lot of time and effort uh, in our brand and our logo and making sure that you know, it stands for something, right? And, and similarly, even in a small-medium business, it's very important for uh, you to start to build a brand, start to build an identity as a business that then customers uh, recognize and associate with and, um, and then, you know, make, make an investment in your business, right, as it relates to buying your products or services. Well, Mark, uh, having said that, and assuming that the small business ha already has uh, uh, the logo and, and uh, uh, some of the other things, how does let, now let's bring it down to what what you're here for because we're talking about print, which happens to be um, my favorite area. Uh, I prefer print over everything else. But how can a small business save money? And obviously, you're going to say using HP products, but more importantly, how can they they really go about uh, utilizing uh, their copier, their other things, to uh, to really make an impact on their customers? Sure. So, uh, yeah, I think there's there's a couple different things to consider, right, as it relates to. Uh, utilizing either the infrastructure that you already have or as you, you know, acquire new infrastructure from a print perspective, I think there's, um, first there's, there's what are your, your needs, right, as far as the, um, the type of technology that, that uh, you need uh, to support the, the types of things that you want to do. Um, you know, from a, a product perspective, are, are you only going to print, in which case you only require a single you know, function printer, right, that, that's all it does is print documents. Um, or if, you know, there's there's more functionality that, or capabilities that you're looking for, 
because you need fax capabilities or copy capabilities and, uh, and, and so forth, scanning, in which case you'd want a multifunction device. So, so those are, are decisions that a small business needs to make because you, you don't want to waste money on capabilities you, you're not necessarily going to utilize, right? So if it's only printing, then, then you stick down the uh, single-function printer path. If it's more capabilities, you want to make it, uh, you know, the, uh, the hub of your, your small office or, or small business, then maybe a multifunction device is, uh, is more appropriate. And then with, re with respect to that, you know, there is a lot, of, um, uh, a lot of folks that try to save money as it relates to, you know, what types of, of supplies, right, whether it be toner or ink supplies that they, they use for those printers. And, and oftentimes uh, we see that, you know, uh, cust customers or small, medium business customers uh, try, to, try to save money because, of course, money, saving money and being uh, much more uh, efficient with the dollars that you have, the limited dollars that you have is critical. Um, but, uh, and sometimes they use alternatives, right, or refilled inks or remanufactured toner or the like. Um, you know, some, uh, there's a saying that, uh, that growing up that my uh, grandfather always used to say, and I think it's very appropriate. It's being cheap is expensive, right? So uh, when, you, when you get into a situation where you have to save money, you definitely want to make sure that you're saving in the, money in the right place. And the, the place where you don't want to save money where, you know, at the expense of engaging customers, communicating with customers, you know, as you said, uh, you know, print is a very valuable medium for, for getting, you know, customers to, you know, be aware of your uh, services and products and so forth. So that's not an area where I wouldn't necessarily um, endorse uh, skimping or, or cutting corners and, and using um, non-original non, uh, inks or, or toner supplies. Um, you know, the... It, that's your image, right? That's your, your um, you know, the, the way that you're engaging those customers. So when you have that, that um, those remanufactured uh, toner or refill inks, in many cases the output is, is really less than uh, what you'd like it to be. Um, there's a, an opportunity to, um, to save a little bit of money, but in the long run it, it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't pay off in my opinion. Mark, if you have the right uh, products and services, and I'm, I'm partial HP, I've never bought anything else, but um, uh, how can you better utilize these products in your promotional effort? You know, a couple things there. I think it's important for, again, back to the original uh, where I started out around understanding kind of your design path and, and how you're going to differentiate yourself. So, you know, using your products, uh, whether it's laser technology or, or ink technologies, uh, um, some of the new stuff that we have from an HP perspective, page wide array uh, technologies, which is our, our new pigment-based inks. Uh, identifying what's you know what's the best um, use of those technologies in order to to enhance your customer you know awareness and marketing materials, right? Uh, I think you know the um, Having a strong design uh, plan around how you're going to engage customers, and um, you know the specific 
products that, that will get you there, right? I mean, uh, laser uh, products uh, always have been uh, kind of the, the benchmark as it relates to being able to uh, have a very high-quality, high-sheen um, applications, right, the customer-ready type of materials. Um, but, you know, there have been a lot of advancements technology-wise uh, from uh, the ink side of the house as well. And so uh, utilization of there to, to really enhance the opportunity to use color, right? Um, color has always been something that has been um, more expensive, of course, than, than mono, but it expresses a lot when you're able to communicate in color to your customers, right? And so, as I said before, you, you don't necessarily want to skimp there. So with the introduction of, of some of the new technologies, the ink-based technologies, it's brought down the color cost barrier significantly. So, uh, again, you know, utilizing what's what's best for the job. Um, integrating print, I think, into your into your um, marketing mix is, I think, really essential. You talked about it early on. You know, we've done studies within uh, HP and, and out in the marketplace that have shown that um, as much as much a barrage as as businesses get as it relates to um, offers for products and, and, and services or customers the same way via kind of digital outreach. Um, a marketing materials that are done on, on printed documents, if they're done in the right way and have the right level of, um, of care and attention to them, actually have a higher uh, return rate as it relates to uh, you know that type of medium in the marketing mix. So I think it's essential to uh, make sure that you're utilizing you know your print investments. Make sure you have what you need as it relates to the right device for the type of jobs that you're trying to drive. You uh, stay the course as it relates to making sure that you're using original inks and toner to make sure that the output is uh, what you want it to be and it represents your business well and that you know you you know that you're secure in the fact that you're getting uh you know the best solution out there as it relates to um both the printing and and uh copying and faxing and, and so forth as it relates to the um the the money that you're putting into what is a significant investment for a small medium business so i think uh i think that's where i would uh you know counsel small medium businesses to to kind of Focus on those three those three things. Know your design path. Make sure that the money that your investment, I mean, it really matters, so make sure it's it's uh, invested wisely. And uh, and and make sure that um, that you always have the customer in mind and, and don't skimp there, skimp in other places if possible. Well, well on, on that note, five years ago we did a study for our, we have a book on how to market the small business, and we're updating the book. And at, uh, five years ago, uh, surprisingly, of 59% of the small business in, in our survey said they, that they used a print material to make the final decision uh, uh, on a product or service. Uh, we went back to... Uh, earlier this year to update the book, and despite all of the uh, changes in the technology, uh, 52%, a majority, still said that they use promotional material 
in making their final decision of printed promotional material. And that surprised me. I thought with the advent of uh, all of this technology in the cloud, et cetera, that it would be uh, uh, the number would be much lower. But it, it's only dropped six percentage points, which I found interesting and which is one of the reasons why I invited you on the program. Um, uh, let me ask you one question. What is, do you think is the break point uh, between printing it in-house and going out to a printer in terms of price or any other factors? Have you ever looked at that? Yeah, we don't, I don't, I don't have a uh, kind of a hard and fast uh, kind of data point that says when you're producing X amount of, you know, material or pages, right, if you want to use a kind of a page perspective. But um, because, again, it depends on the it's, – it's very application specific, right? I mean, if, if you're talking about very, very high runs, um, then I, I think at some point there is a break point, right? Uh, I don't have that uh, at, at this point. But I would say that the cost for for doing things in-house has come down dramatically over the last, you know, five years, five, ten years, right? So uh, printing as a, as a category, you know, a lot of the advancements in the technology that have been driven have been focused on bringing costs down so that you can – do more in-house, and and I think the the, the bigger um, opportunity is around the personalization aspect of it, right? So, you you know, being able to do it in-house, you control it more. I mean, how how many times I I know a few of my friends who own small businesses where I've heard stories where you know they put together what they thought was you know the the perfect set of marketing materials to promote their business spent a lot of time getting that together, then sent it out to, um, to uh, you know, print service provider, and there were errors, right? I mean, a- as it relates to the transmission of the information, you know, the materials come back, it doesn't look exactly like they wanted to, so, it co- you know, there was the reproduction that was necessary to go through that. You know, when you have it in-house, you know, ag- again, you-, you have more control on the end output, right? And so with costs coming down, I think that's a you know more and more of a reality for the small business owner that that they can do that even for uh, sizable uh, print jobs whether it's you know two three thousand four thousand kind of uh, pieces um, that that they may be doing in a specific run. So, do you have any final thoughts for our audience? Well, I, the the thing that I would uh, reiterate is that. Um, you, you said it originally, and uh, and then you, you repeated it. I think it's important to note is that print is still a very relevant um, part of the marketing mix, right? Uh, as a as a customer, and, and personally as a customer, when I receive um, and I receive a lot of email uh, requests, right? Whether it's uh, marketing requests that come digitally, uh, it's really easy to delete an email, right? I mean, it, you get so many. And uh, but when a, a very well put together piece of of very informative material comes in, either through the mail or um, that I see marketed somewhere 
you know, it catches your eye and you immediately, you know, start to look at it. At least that's my perspective. So I think it's a it's a very important part of the marketing mix. So investing the time in making sure you have the right tools to do an exceptional job in marketing yourself, um, I think is important. And, uh, you know, we will continue from an HP perspective to try to bring more innovations that continue to drive down costs and make it easier for small, medium businesses to thrive uh, using HP products. If people wanted to reach you, or uh, well, uh, uh, we know the site it's hp.com, but if they wanted to reach you or your group or know more, how can they do it? Well, uh, yeah, you, you hit it on the head, right? So uh, for more information around the pro- products and service, you, we have our, our uh, worldwide uh, website at, at hp.com. Mark, thank you for joining us today. Um, I, I, I know I learned a lot more, and I hope our audience did as well. Well, thank you for having me, Don. Our next guest is Taffy Williams. He's a, author of Think Agile, How Smart Entrepreneurs Adapt in Order to Succeed. I love your title. Welcome to the program, Taffy. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it, was, uh, it wasn't the original title. Uh, the editors uh, actually thought that the terms in there were better search terms, and it fit. We were going to call it the uh, Flexipreneur, but that's not a good Google search term. So the Think Agile actually uh, ties in all the concepts and, uh, and help, uh, help bring it together, uh, and, and it was about how entrepreneurs succeeded. Well, before we go further, tell us a little about yourself personally. Okay, uh, I I uh, have a bachelor's degree in chemistry, uh, of all things, uh, from Notre Dame. Uh, then a Ph.D. from the University of South Carolina and did a postdoctoral fellowship at the University of Michigan. All of that, coupled with my 14 years working uh, for the Department of Defense in medical R&D as a civilian, uh caused me to be involved in research in a very intense way. And uh, much of of the activity uh, required a lot of creativity and agile thinking. Transitioning over to industry, I left uh, uh, the government and went into industry, became vice president for research in a biotech company. Uh, Again, the agile thinking uh, was needed. And then started getting involved in turning around public companies. So I took over... A company took it from a $3 million market cap to $300 million in five years with investors making up to 11 times their money in two and a half. Worked on another company. Uh, uh, we had a product in both when we were done. The second one we sold off in pieces. Uh, the, and then I set up Colonial Technology uh, Development Company here in North Carolina where my wife and I uh, originally came from. We had been away for 40 years. And uh, during this time now, I have been working with... Uh, some larger organizations like universities and hospitals, helping them do some business development around their own technology. But I've been involved very heavily in uh, working with small entrepreneurs, either coaching, serving as an interim uh, president, uh, CEO, or serving as a board member, uh, helping them to build the company. One such company went public about a year and a half ago. Um, I have another one we're doing a 10 to $15 million financial raise now for. Uh, all of these, again, and within the healthcare, biotech, uh, medical, and medical device sector. 
Um, I'm current, you know, we currently have an IT company in the healthcare sector, so I work with about six or seven companies at one time. Well, now tell us about the concept of think at agile. Okay, the concept is that uh, you know you you tend to to it's very easy to get stuck uh, and to uh, not look for alternatives. I mean, this happened to me first when I was uh, working in, in graduate school, and I walked in to a professor and said, you know, I've been working on this project you gave me for six months, and uh, and it's not working. Give me a new project. They turned around and uh, looked at me and they said, you didn't do it right. Go back and make it work. And I was kind of, like, irritated. I went back. Somehow or another, through thinking about different ways to conduct the experiments, I actually made it work, which formed the basis for all the work for the next four years for my dissertation. Other concepts, that, you know, examples of how, how this came about was working in companies when you're involved in doing turnarounds. Um, you know, I stepped into one company, and the technology was doing uh, natural product discovery out of the former Soviet Union. The board uh, was a board that had never run a public company, didn't have any concepts about it, and they'd never been in the pharmaceutical sector. The technology was far too early, and so we had very little money left in the bank. Somehow, uh, going back in, talking to them, I went out and identified alternative technologies, brought it in, and managed to get um, some professors in the university to give me the rights to their technology to develop. We ultimately turned that into the company that uh, you know developed to be worth about $300 million. So basically, realizing you couldn't make what you had work, working to go out and seek other kinds of things, uh, recognizing that you didn't have a lot to pay the guy with, but cutting a deal that made him happy, all of that required flexibility. And another deal that I was working in in a company, um, we, you know, we had a um, a, a $16 million financing uh, put together. Had signed deal documents. Uh, walked in, uh, you know, I, uh, three days before the annual shareholder meeting to gain an approval. I get a call from the syndicate saying they're not going through with it. Now I've got signed deal documents, and we put out the prospectus and everything else. And all of a sudden, I've got to walk into a room of about 60 people and tell them, you know, the company may go under. We're going to have to postpone this to a date uncertain. We had to come back and be very creative uh, in terms of how we approached the syndicate to finally get them to close on a financing. So the company survived. And we've had other such situations. I mean, I've looked at closing the businesses that I, that I took over three or four times, and each time, you know, finding different ways to, to do it. So the agile thinking concept comes from looking for alternatives, um, finding finding things that might be different, um, Sometimes uh, it is a little uh, different than what you thought. Usually you try to go faster and you try to, uh, you know, beat somebody to the, to the marketplace. Well, there are occasions where going a little bit slower is more important. And so this concept of not being so locked in to a particular set path that you forget to look around you and figure out what might be better and make you a better company, that's what the concept's all about. Well, uh, um you know, there's a saying, um, uh, 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 a man becomes very creative when he faces the hangman in the morning. Uh, that's you can say uh, that again. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's actually true. It was funny. I, I was reading a, a story uh, about um, uh, Dylan, Bob Dylan, 
and, and apparently he had decided at one point to give up writing music and singing. But he went off to some cabin somewhere, and I don't know what else he was doing. I'm sure it was a little bit more than just there. But while he was out in his cabin doing absolutely nothing and decided he was going to quit singing, all of a sudden his most famous songs came to him just out of the clear. You know, and, and he uh, wrote them down, and he got back into it uh, with, you know, in a totally different way. And, and that's what happens a lot of times when you're facing that hangman and you're stuck and you're, you're, gotta, you know, you're not sure what you're going to do. If you can step away from it just long enough to think about it or let your creativity side uh, come into play, you, you'll come up with a different approach. But, but isn't it uh, the, the, the downside of, of this, and I've seen this also, is you, you tend to try to go uh, uh, in different directions and uh, you, you fail to really concentrate on, uh, on it? Uh, no, I, I, I always tell people, pick a direction, uh, and that direction is to put a product on the market, uh, for example. And if the product, putting on a product on the market, there are three different paths to get there. You may want to put all three in place because you're not sure which one's going to do it. Or if you picked out the most ideal path, the most expedient path, the most cost-effective one, determine alternate ways to get there so that if you get a roadblock, which most of the times you do, you'll have an alternative way to get to where you're going. So it's really retaining the focus of your end goal, but thinking about different ways to get to that end goal. Well, when do you decide... Uh, your end goal and your product are not the right thing. Uh, if, your market, it, if, you, if you truly cannot create the product, it's not possible. And you have demonstrated that beyond any, any belief that you've got. And you haven't got any ideas for an alternative product. You have two options now. You either go find a new product to bring in, um, you know, or you shut the company down. Now, if you, if you have the adequate resources... There's the ability to go out and bring something else in. Just because your original end goal and product aren't a match and may not be able to get there, it doesn't mean that you can't find something else and put it into the business and move it forward. You don't have to be stuck with what you originally thought you were going to do. Does that also apply to financing? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I oftentimes, uh, in fact, in the middle of the financing we're doing right now, we've been talking to potential business development partners. We're talking about the companies that might be willing to do mergers and acquisitions. We're talking to uh, an investment banking group who's got us on the road starting to talk to potential investors. Uh, you know, so we have several different things going on, you know, at the same time. Just the other day, I was talking to a guy that, that is doing a renovation of an old bank, and he's going to turn it into a condo complex. Well, the the, because of the downturn in the financial markets in 2007 and 8, he wasn't able to get the adequate loan that he wanted. I ran into him the other day, and I, I talked to him earlier and made some introductions, you know, several years ago. And I said, you know, have you got the loan yet? Because I really love to see this apartment, this condo building, go up. He says, no. They said I'm just below the threshold for what the, you know, in terms of revenues, what they would be willing to loan me. So I looked at him and said, well, how much would they loan you? He didn't have an answer to that. He never asked them. I said, because if they will loan you anything, we can go out and see if we can raise the rest of the money in a different way. So I said, go back and ask them, and then come back and let's see what we can do. So, so the flexibility and the ability to look at any particular activity, whether it's finance, product development, whether it's the people you've got working for you, somebody if you think they're key personnel that might leave, uh, having alternative ways to approach it and looking at it uh, in a in a sense of, of how do you protect yourself? How do you make sure that you're not 
uh, left out in the cold if something really bad happens. Um, you know, all of that goes into this agile thinking. Well, I'm learning a lot today. Keep keep on going. I hope our audience is as well. Well, you know, it was, it was pretty interesting. I, it, it, most of what I write, and I've written, you know, over 300 articles in different places, uh, they, you know, they cover quite a lot of topics. And everything that I write, it comes from firsthand experience. So in this particular book, you know, there's a lot of firsthand experiences. And I had someone that I worked with who helped me, and between he and I, we had a number of, of different things. But there's one example in there that I really loved because it's near and dear to my heart. It was in the pharmaceutical area. A friend of mine named Ashley Palmer, who's written, I write this up in the book, by the way, it's in there, um, is, it was working with an, an anesthesia company, and they made gases. And these gases uh, that they had, um, you know, one of them was, uh, was not used for anesthesia, but it was one that a Harvard professor came to him and asked, uh, you know, about turning it into a pharmaceutical product. And it happened to be a very toxic, caustic gas that was, that was poisonous. And, uh, and the, the Harvard professor had an idea that, uh, you know, you could use this to treat a, a disease called blue baby syndrome. The blue baby syndrome, the babies turn blue because they're not getting enough air, and by giving them this gas, uh, it helps to uh, make the blood vessels dilate a little bit so that the blood boosts better. And, and literally, it, were, it, it, it theoretically at the time, looked, you know, wouldn't make the baby survive. Well... Uh, my friend working in this in this uh, you know anesthesia company had told uh, went in and begged uh, to, to take an option on the technology. Company was too old, too stodgy. They didn't want to take it, but they did finally agree to take a six month option. Well, at the end of the six months, they still didn't want to take it on. So this guy went in and begged, please let me have it, you know, and, and he, he pressured them. They said, okay, let's go ahead and at least get started. So he he got the rights to the technology, managed to pull together. Um, you know, a clinical development team, and uh, you know, and they they ultimately managed to do the clinical development um, around this particular toxic gas. Well, it worked. Well, the really interesting thing was is they had been using the gas in all the clinical trials, and the physicians had been using the stuff for free. But uh, part of the really innovation that came about was figuring out how to charge by use. And by the time this toxic gas hit the market and was actually sold off into a new business, it was worth $700 million a year. Now, the guy was, um, was not willing to give up, recognized an opportunity, found a unique way to charge for it, and turned it into a very huge business when nobody would touch it. Now, it required a lot of agility and creativity in order to do that. And that's just another example. Well, it's interesting, but also faith in the product and the stubbornness, uh, which are, are uh, keynotes of small businesses. Is that um, one of the key criteria for su success? Absolutely. Yeah, it, it was. I funny. I called up the professor who told me go back and I did it wrong. Go back and make it work. And I told him. I says, you know, I'm sending you a copy of this book. You're written up in here. And I wrote this up. He didn't remember telling me this because it was just off the cuff that day. But that particular, uh, you know, th that particular language, and uh, it's a short quip that he threw out, turns out to be the reason that you're able to overcome many, many barriers, is finding a way to solve a problem uh, when you believe that nobody else can solve it. So, 
you know, in, in terms of coming up to the end, uh, and I can tell you another story if, if you got time. Um, there's a, a guy that I knew that was in uh, the California area. He had a chemical supply company. He was um, uh, one of the founders, there were two, and uh, he, they had managed to uh, come hit a, hit a wall. They had, they had run running out of money, and they had no more orders coming in. Well, you know, out of sheer um, desperation that night, he decided the next morning he was going to close the business. All of a sudden, an order came in, a big one. When I was talking to him and he was telling me the story, he was bringing in $8 million personally a year. Well, it's being able to stay alive long enough to get your lucky break, and it's a stick-to-itiveness and not giving up is an extremely important part. Well, you're absolutely right. I always say that the Lord will provide. And uh, you also can money. create the lucky breaks around by having more than one kind of approach taking place simultaneously because you just need one of them. So if you're out looking for money and you're you're looking for loans and you're looking for investors and you're looking for business partners and you're looking for all kinds of other things, you just need one of them. Uh, you know, so you can increase the chances you'll get your lucky break by increasing the ways you approach the solution to a particular problem. That's worth repeating. <laughs> you, if you have multiple approaches to solve the same problem, you often can increase your chances of success because one of all you sometimes all you need is for one of those to work. The name of your book? Think Agile is the uh, book. There is a book website, thinkagilebook.com, all one word, thinkagilebook.com. Well, spell it out. Taffy, T spell it out. T H I N K A G I L E B O O K period C O M. So thinkagilebook.com. And and the book is available through places like Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Amacom, which is the American Management Association. They were the publisher. There are probably about ten different online uh, you know uh, sources that you can buy the book from. What what made you decide to to write the book? You know, I uh, I've had uh, some successes, and the successes have given me an opportunity to help others. And so one of the things that I enjoy doing is helping entrepreneurs. And I sometimes will coach them for free, and many times I'll coach them and, and interact with them. And, you know, it's not until later if they we decide that we like each other that we'll actually form a business relationship because I just can't work with everybody. And, and I have been writing articles about um, entrepreneurship, building companies, all the aspects, leadership, and I've been publishing them in the startup blog, which I have, theexaminer.com. I also uh, put them on LinkedIn. And one of the articles I had done for a friend who I'd introduced uh, to investors in the West Coast was showed up in the Charlotte Observer, which got syndicated. And that syndicated article showed up in the Chicago Tribune, and I got a call from somebody saying, you know, you look like you'd like to write a book. I said, well, I don't know. We had a long discussion, and we finally came up with a book topic, and I, I decided to write it. And my primary reason is because I didn't have the help and guidance along the way, and anything that I can provide to build companies is good. Building companies is one of the best things you can do to increase employment, uh, you know, and financial security in the United States. 
I do it mostly to give back. I don't really, you know, you don't make money writing books. That, that's very true. If people wanted to reach you directly? Uh, if they want to reach me directly, uh, my company website is colonial, C-O-L-O-N-I-A-L-T, like in Tom, D like in David, C like in Charlie, dot com. Uh, and there's a phone number they can leave a message at uh, that's at the contact page. Um, and also in the Think Agile book uh, website, there's a place to submit uh, an email uh, you know, request or a comment or something uh, where I can respond to it, uh, and I'll get back to them. Uh, also, if they go to either the startup blog or the LinkedIn or others and leave comments or other ways, they can reach me that way too. Well, I tell you, Tassie, this has been a really uh, great interview. Uh, you, you said a lot that I, I hope people uh, will listen to and uh, 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 take to heart because uh, you said it all. You've done a great job. I'm really impressed. Well, uh, thank you. It's 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 been fun interacting with people. It's harder writing the articles than people think. <laughs> it's harder writing the book than people think. I just hope that people get something out of it, and I'd love to see businesses spring up and people feel more confident as a result. Well, well thank you. You, you. you have to come back sometime. In oh, any time. Uh, just, uh, you know, just let me know. Well, really, a really great program. Uh, you really made this program sing tonight. Thank you. Well, thank you. I, uh, I enjoyed it. I, I, always ta- I always enjoy talking about entrepreneurship. I could go on forever. <laughs> well, you have to come back. I will. Uh, you know, just uh, let me know when. You got it. 